it's kind of like I tell my partner to hug me and then when they try and hug me I say don't do that it's like I want that's every girl (laughs) that's every girl What's good, everybody? You're listening to the All Feelings No Facts podcast, where every week we do our best not to get canceled. We talk about subjects such as government, psychology, taxes, history, English, uh, kinesiology, <laughs> uh, humanities. Uh, what, what, what else am I missing? Um, I mean, blood. Everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just... Yeah. Everywhere. Uh, all right. I don't know how to explain that one, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna skip over that. Um, shit. My name's Rashawn. I'm the star of the show. To my right, I got Davis, the resident stepdad. To my left, I got Alex, who is our guest today. <laughs> she's dressed like she's in Star Wars. <laughs> you look like Princess oh my Leia right God. now. <laughs> Put a Latina in a bun, and she looks like Princess Leia. Um, so today we got a we got a lot of heavy subjects that we want to talk about potentially. Um, Davis is looking outside, <laughs> like uh, I don't know what you want to call it. But anyways, Davis is gonna take it from here. Cool. Yeah, my dog is. I'm very concerned tonight. Uh, but yeah, uh, what's up? What's up, Alexis? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. I'm okay. not gonna lie. I think I think we're all kind of nervous. I think you're the first guest we've had on that we don't have a a really close friendship yeah. with. Um, cause most of the time we bullshit for like a whole 30 minutes before mm-hmm. we even start. And today was just kind of like, I mean, Rashan shook your hand. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, I wish I could, I could relive that moment forever. Oh, that's so awesome. Dude, I have not shaken anyone's hand in like 10 years. It was so formal. I really appreciated it though. Yeah. That was a great yeah, first meeting. It was really good. Yeah, I mean, I mean I've, I've known both of y'all for a little bit. I mean, I mm. just really met you, Rashawn, mm. but... I've known you for a little while, Davis, and I don't know. But then again, I'm a very, I'm, I'm a very transparent person. So like talking about all my BS that's happened in my life is not like a huge. Yeah, and just so everyone knows, this is not a mental health podcast. We are not licensed therapists. At Can all. we agree on that? Yes, <laughs> we're only speaking from experience. Right. If anything, we're unlicensed therapists. If anything, we actually don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, which might help. Hey, honestly, it might. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe drop your actual therapist and listen to this podcast. Should, yeah. Maybe we should, maybe we should cut that part out that we weren't licensed. People will think that we are. Oh, no. Can you cut that part out? (laughs) Which part are we cutting out? (laughs) Just kidding. Just so, and you know, like sometimes I'll be on the dance floor and random strangers come up to me like, yo, your podcast saved my life. And I'm just like, that was not my intention oh. at all. Wait, that's so sweet though. I know, but you know, like I just, I'm just here to make people laugh and I'm not here out to save lives. But if I do end up saving your life, um, shit. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. You, you actually, you're welcome and you owe me. <laughs> <laughs> you owe me your I life. I conversation, conversation for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so I think Davis has like a question that he always asks every guest, so he's going to do that now. Here we go. Okay, yeah, before we even ask that, you're the first female guest 
we've had on that we haven't practiced our dance moves on because oh, every single gosh. time we have a marcella or uh-huh. brie on like we'll be like oh show me this move or show me this oh, move yeah. like because we're kind of obsessed i mean yeah we're pretty much obsessed with like dancing and learning well, yeah, new moves and awesome. like you're you're just the first one we've just I guess, I don't know. It's it's uh. Your it's dog interesting. Was also yeah, my dog was yeah, also bleeding this out. This is this is a really interesting like vibe that's going on. But yeah, first question always. Uh, do you feel loved today? And do I feel loved today? After that, do you feel enough? I definitely feel loved today. Um, I got to see my mom. I have a really great partner who makes me feel loved every day. My parents are great. Um, I feel very taken care of. And uh, do I feel enough? Um, it ebbs and flows, I feel like, constantly. But I would say, overall, I guess, kind of. <laughs> I kinda. guess a, a better question would be, when was the last time you didn't feel enough? Last time, I, yesterday. Okay. Yeah. I Can you feeling, walk us through that? Yeah, I was. Um, I went on vacation last week, and um, I wasn't obviously wasn't really dancing that much, and I'm not a huge like gym goer, so dance is mm. really my only source of physical activity, mm. and I was eating a lot more than I <laughs> I normally do, so I was feeling a little bit self conscious about my body mm. and. So I was just feeling a little. That's insecure. every girl that gets on this podcast. Yeah. By the way. Oh, I so feel like you're, you're I feel okay. Like, I feel like <laughs> you're one in of good the hands. Criterion and being a woman is just feeling like garbage about how you look sometimes. But mm, yeah. But yeah, so that was the last time I felt not enough. So do you think that why do you think women feel all this pressure to? Is it is it from outside pressure that you feel not good about maybe the way you look or what is? I it? think so. I mean, I think. Um, and I think this is kind of like a universal agreement. I think mm. media is not very helpful mm. in painting what it looks like to be beautiful. Mm. Um, and then even whenever you're, you know, you're more on the curvier side, it's like, oh, you're pretty for a fat girl. It's like that Oof. really sucks. Yeah. You know, it's and it, it should never be that way. And or they'll call you. They'll put in the comments section, uh, plus sized queen. It's it's like you don't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's oh it's just the worst and then like even the toys that we played with as a kid like i mm. played with barbies and they're like skinny and scrawny and dainty and that's that's my that's what i saw as beautiful mm, you know right. i made them look beautiful i did their hair i dressed them in pretty clothes and that was the ideal body that we kind of saw so i think it was it was kind of a conditioning i would say but that's just my personal opinion. do you think that this has anything to do with the patriarchy uh oh my god (laughs) um i i oh i don't know i maybe because i think like media conglomerates all of them are owned by men Mm. so they get to decide what's put on television so i would say so okay so let's say okay someone like kim kardashian Uh that's all women driving a certain image right right so, so in some ways it's, it is men. And then in some ways it's it, uh, women also have the same power to, sh- to tell you how you should look. Absolutely. And I, I think like, obviously celebrities don't open up about like, oh, I had work done on this. So this right. actually isn't real. 
you know? And I think, like, we strive for... Do y'all remember the, the Kylie lip challenge where they put your lips in, like, the sucker thing? And you, like, oh, suck and yeah. you had these big lips? Like, yeah. that's so dangerous. And we're just trying to look like someone who got lip fillers. Isn't that crazy? Right, right. So, you would, yeah, you would see, like, a six-year-old who, yeah. whose lips are completely swollen. Because they yeah. sucked on, like, a, a bottle cap or uh-huh, something. Uh-huh, or, like, a shot glass or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like I'm not blaming it all on men. Because it's definitely not all on men. I, mm-hmm. just, I just think that, I don't know, we just, for whatever reason, just decide... To we look at something and we're like, okay, that's going to be the standard of beauty now, which is right. interesting because if you look at like Renaissance era, mm-hmm. being bigger, like a fuller woman meant was prettier because you were, it meant that you were rich because you ate well. So that right. was like considered <clears throat> the standard of beauty. I think it's ever evolving, but I just, I don't know. The whole standard of beauty thing is really, really weird to me. Yeah. I think right now, I think like, curvy is in yeah. or i feel like it's kind of like going out almost yeah yeah like, fat ass bbl yeah. <laughs> bbl out the ass yeah yeah <laughs> cement in the ass <laughs> ew <laughs> <laughs> you know they do that right cement? and i think so <laughs> <laughs> right or did i make that shit up <laughs> know if it's cement but it's something, <laughs> something solid <laughs> oh yeah but there's also like some procedures where you can take fat out of your stomach and put uh, it in your ass yeah. oh yeah Which and is... i think that's awesome if you can do <laughs> <Wow>. that <laughs> or maybe no i shouldn't be saying that i don't fucking know i don't think i don't know if you should condone that necessarily well i heard that if you do it that there's like you can die Really? eventually right if you do bbls like there's a whole thing where like that's it's kind of unethical to do them wow i'm just simply not educated enough to know if that's factual or not but i think that's right <laughs> i think all cosmetic surgeries there's going to be some kind of risk right yeah and i don't know if we've gotten to see that just yet because i feel yeah. like the the surge of cosmetic surgeries is still living right now right yeah because sometimes it takes like 10 years and then your body's just like we got to get rid of this. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, um, shoot. What are we talking about on this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Davis, you take it from here. <laughs> Next question. Uh, cool. Uh, so just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just early childhood, uh, growing up, where you grew up from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was born and raised in Texas. Um, I was born in Fort Worth, and I lived there for the first 10, 11 years of my life. Um, I grew up with, obviously, two parents. Uh, my mom is Mexican, and my dad is redneck white boy, so that was a really interesting dynamic. Um, and then I, besides me, I had a brother who's five years older than me. So, yeah, it was just us four, and then I, my grandma also lived with me growing up. Um, childhood was great. I mean, um, I was really spoiled as a kid, and it was really, I had really loving parents. Um, Me and my brother had a really good relationship. Um, I went to a Christian school my entire life, so from preschool all the way up until my sophomore year of college, I was in an education that was based around Christianity. So Christianity has always been a part of my life, and it still is, but it looks a little different now. But, yeah, I think the only thing that was really, like, difficult for me as a kid was um, fear. And uh, 
I do have OCD, I have uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and it showed up really early on in my life. Um, it first started with my fear of vomit, which like really dictated a lot of how I went about my childhood. So um, that kind of was a little bit difficult to deal with, but I feel like maybe we'll get a little more into that later on. Uh, what's up with the vomit? What's wrong with that? Oh, well, um, <laughs> so <laughs> can't skip over that. Yeah. part. <laughs> I, so um, when I was younger, my brother and I used to sleep in the same bed. Mm. And uh, there was one night we went to Applebee's and my brother ate too much and mm-hmm. he threw up on me in the middle of the night. So Ooh. I think because like my mom freaked out, I freaked out. Mm. And so after that, it was crazy. Like it was. I was this normal little like five-year-old who was carefree and had a lot of fun and then Mm. it was like a switch changed and my life was just like permeated by fear it was crazy it was like a day and night difference just from someone throwing up on me oh okay and you've okay i guess davis no one's ever thrown up on you right i think uh, (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, you've had an, a crazy ex-girlfriend or a girl that's just like gone <laughs> wild one night and just vomited all over the place. But we're gonna cut this whole thing right here. Why? <laughs> I have to. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I've had like my siblings throw off on me, or just okay. if you've had a long last night, or your friend just had a minute. And just kind of vomited on you, uh, but oh, you make that sound so casual. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like freaking out in my mind. Like, what did you do? You just clean yourself up, and yeah. then you just keep it moving. Yeah, but I, I guess think... it's not a fear of mine. It's more mm-hmm. a fear of yours. I think it, it was more so the reaction that my mom had that really like. I I think there was I I remember very vividly like she was washing me off in the bathtub, and she looked at me with like this disgusted face. And I was like, I feel disgusting right now. And I just never wanted to feel like that ever again. And so that was kind of when my like big phobia kind of came in. And I think that's where, yeah, I think that's kind of where the, the OCD kind of began there as well. It's it's funny how you vividly remember oh my gosh. the faces weird. of this of your parents when you're like five. I don't remember like I don't remember a lot of this sounds horrible, but I don't remember a lot of really good memories from my childhood. It was mostly like when did I feel the most anxious when I was a kid, and it kind of just went on and on and on and on. Uh, so OCD about the vomit situation. Mm-hmm. What about poop? No. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, okay. Not not that. It's not really. There has to be some kind of maybe a memory tied to if that were to happen, right? Is that what you're? Like, if I were to throw up. <laughs> so if you were about to get pooped. Oh on. no, um, no. That, I don't know why. Well, you know, that happens every day. But I feel like yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, not like. Going to the bathroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, that's no. a regular thing for Alex. Okay. <laughs> I get shit on every day. No, yeah. um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. And no one likes to throw up. You know. Yeah. Like, no, it's no, awful. It's really horrible. And mm. 
I don't know. I just, I felt disgusting and I knew that like if I were to throw up, I would feel disgusting. So it really, I don't know. It just kind of became what I viewed the world through and everything I did was to avoid throwing up or like watching someone throw up. So um, I feel like that can be a problem when you're, you go to elementary school and everyone's yeah, throwing everyone's up. Vomiting. <laughs> yeah, everyone's vomiting. Right next to each other. <laughs> Yo, I could tell you every single person, name and grade, who threw up at oh, my school. I remember that okay. so vividly. Did you feel like in some way that they were against you? I felt, well, if anything, I felt like I was against them. Like oh, okay. the, the way that my mom looked at me whenever I had vomit on me was oh, yeah. the way I viewed other people who threw up at school. It was horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it sounds so stupid, but oh my gosh. I was I imagine, imagine you like going to a hospital and there are like constipations after chemo and they're vomiting and you're just like, how dare you? <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't be like you're the you're an awful person. It's like I just don't want to touch you or get okay. close to you, you know. But just bad because they're human and they can't help it. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a favorite childhood memory of you growing up? Just um. I mean, I had this. I still have this friend. We've been friends for 15 years, and really, any memory, any memory with her was was really good. Um, and I think because she understood my fear, my phobia at this time, I think it was, um, she, she kind of got me, you know? How old was she? Oh, we've been friends for like 15 years. So she kind of like understood that I was okay. really afraid of it. Yeah. And so she accommodated to that fear and made me feel really comfortable and taken care of. And cause it was really embarrassing, you know, mm. how worked up I would get over something so human and so small. Yeah. Um, but she would always like be super like friendly and validating to me, even as like a right. kid. So any okay. memory with her, I would, I just remember really enjoying those. Yeah. So she was kind of, kind of guiding you through those experiences. Yeah. She was, just, she was just always really understanding mm, in there. That's interesting. Cause I feel like other people or just a regular school kid would just be like, what you talking about? Yeah. OCD. They, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know I had OCD until I didn't get formally diagnosed until I was 20. Mm. Oh, okay. So it was about 15 years late. So what made you finally get a diagnosis? Yeah. So unfortunately OCD is, really really misunderstood mm. and really stereotyped um, okay. because when you think about OCD like what do you think of you think about like hand washing being right. organized being neat and tidy yeah. and while those experiences are valid and definitely do happen it's just scratching the surface of what it actually is mm. um, and I think OCD is really just about making sure it's about seeking certainty okay, more yeah, so yeah. than it is about <clears throat> being clean or being afraid of germs or this, that, and the other. Mm. So, um, I had this, um, this episode and you know, throughout my entire life, it's latched on to different things. Mm. Like, um, it latched on, obviously it latched onto the vomit situation. So mm. that took up a lot of my time. Um, it latched on to Christianity. Like I would, 
worry whether or not I was a Christian, if I was actually mm. saved. <clears throat> um, I would obsess about it. I would pray compulsively. Um, and then it latched on to my relationships. Like, am I with the right partner? What if I'm making a mistake? All this stuff. Um, and so the obsession that I had, I, it's this one gets really misunderstood. So I, I don't think I want to be like super transparent about it. It was sexual in nature. So it was really hard for me to deal with it. Um, and it was in, yeah, it was in 2020. And I just remember having this one intrusive thought. And after that, I could not stop thinking about it. And it made me miserable. Like I couldn't go outside because everything, everything was triggering to me. Like going to the grocery store was triggering. Talking to my friends was triggering. Everything reminded me of it. And it was like, so the compulsive side of it is like what we do to prevent the, the fear from happening. So like we have an intrusive thought, like a what if, and then we're like, I don't want that to happen because it's not who I am. So what can I do to prevent that from happening or make sure that that's not true about me? So I would do mental compulsions like asking for re or reassurance seeking or trying to figure it out, solving things in my mind. I would check bodily feelings like sensations to make sure like I didn't want something or I did want something. Um, just I, I tell, when I tell you I would wake up and do these compulsions and go to sleep doing compulsions, I, it was all day. And it sucked so bad. And I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I didn't want to talk to anybody. It was really isolating because I didn't want, I wanted to tell people about my experience, but I didn't want people to think that the thoughts that I was having meant something about me. So I didn't want them, I didn't want to share it with anyone. And so I was Googling, I was, which is like Google searching is another compulsion. <laughs> and I was like, researching like I'm having these thoughts about xyz and then I came across this um article that was about OCD and I was reading through it and I just remember just breaking down into tears because I was like this is exactly what I'm going through this is it this is what I'm feeling this is exactly <clears throat> what I'm experiencing right now so um I reached out to a telehealth company called no cd not sponsored um, and they, they will sponsor us after this. God, I hope so. Um, but I reached out to them and I, I did, uh, some therapy through them for a little bit. And then I switched to an in-person therapist and I've been with her for about a year, but I had done a traditional talk therapy for about five years prior. And the, the bad thing about talk therapy is that it's just reassurance. Like, yeah, you're making the right decision or yeah, you're doing great, which is so bad for the obsessive cycle. So whenever I was in talk therapy, they were just feeding my obsessions instead of helping it. So I was digging myself deeper and deeper and deeper. But yeah, that's, that's a long story. But that's why I decided to, to get help from like an o OCD specialist. So how is this OCD specialist different than the, what is talk therapist? Yeah, so talk therapy is what you would normally go to, just like mm. if you've experienced trauma, if you just want to talk through, you know, life decisions with somebody, that's pretty standard. Oh. Um, OCD requires really specific treatment. Um, so the therapy that I do, it's a type of cognitive behavioral therapy called ERP, and it stands for Exposure and Response Prevention. And it's hard. It's, <laughs> it's no walk in the park. So basically... Um, 
so I mentioned earlier, like going to the grocery store was really triggering for me. I would feel mm. a lot of anxiety from just leaving my house. Okay. So one of the, the, the basis of ERP is basically to expose ourselves to things that make us anxious and oh, not do compulsions. God. So let's take the, the, the vomit thing, for example, and a common exposure would be to watch videos of someone throwing up and mm. not do something to make myself feel safe, to feel the anxiety and understand I can handle this. And so what it does, because compulsions reinstate to my brain, oh, that is important. That thought meant something, so you need to keep mm, figuring yeah. it out. So when you cut out the compulsive side of it, then it's like, oh, this person didn't take that thought and do something with it. So it actually doesn't mean anything. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yes. Yes, so, it does. So that's the main thing. The main difference is just the type of therapy that we do. But you're also saying that, what is it, EDEPR? ERP. ERP? Mm -hmm. um, but you are having to actually go through the motions of it. Is that correct? What yeah. Are, like the intensity of it. Right. So it's, it's really about feeling the anxiety, that mm -hmm. the uncertainty and whatever emotions that might bring and learning to metabolize it without mm. doing something to prevent myself from feeling it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess that's what people do with like drugs, right? If they don't want to feel something, they'll they'll take a drug, and then yeah. then they're now they're addicted to a drug. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 exactly it's it's very similar to that. So I would be addicted to compulsions. doing compulsions. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's hard to stop. And it, but then again, like a lot of people who have OCD don't want to do the, their, their compulsions. They just feel like they have to or else mm. something bad will happen. Oh, yeah. So it's not really like a, oh, this feels so good to do this. It's like, if I don't do this, something mm. bad will happen to me. So mm, yeah. it's, um, there's a really great analogy that my therapist gave me. It's kind of like you're, you're in this house and you're holding the walls up because you've been told mm. that if you if you take your hands off the wall, the house might collapse. Mm, so you have yeah. you're, you have to hold your hands up, but you don't know for sure if the house is going to collapse or not. Mm, yeah. You just think that it is. So that the ERP, is, the exposure is taking the hands off the wall and then feeling the anxiety that that might bring, mm. and then realizing, oh, the house isn't falling. I'm actually okay. <laughs> And just learning that over and over and over again. Right. Which in the way we're talking about it, it almost sounds very smooth, but actually I think it's like uh, a nightmare situation. It's a nightmare. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's horrible. And you have such little motivation to do it. Mm. Like you, you have to be really mindful about your homework. Like a lot of the, the progress that happens in ERP is in your homework. Like, okay, you're mm. going to do this exposure this week. But when you do it without doing compulsions, that feeling is so good. That mm. feeling keeps you going. It's, it's crazy. And I mean, I've seen so much improvement in my, in my ability to handle uncertainty and mm. my ability yeah. to handle really difficult emotions too. So, um, so you've, you've told us that when you were younger, your parents were separating and then eventually mm -hmm. got divorced. Mm -hmm. How did the divorce and the anxiety of your parents sort of separating and you mm -hmm. losing this table household mm -hmm. affect your 
I guess, the therapy you're doing on the side. Yeah. So um, I did, and I still do, one of my biggest obsessions is about relationships. Um, So when I was younger, my mom would always tell me, like, me and your dad are going to get a divorce whenever you graduate high school. That was just kind of like an expected thing Mm. for me. So whenever it actually happened, I was like, huh, okay. Like, it it was like a, whoa. Um, It was kind of like, okay, yeah, I saw this coming, but I didn't actually think it was coming, Mm. you know? Because they were still together, and she would tell me this from a really young age. And they got divorced when I was 15, 15 or 16. Mm. Um, so I think, um, I think their relationship kind of made me a little bit more inclined to worry about m- my relationships and finding mm. a potential partner because I didn't want to make a mistake like they did and be mm. stuck with someone that I'm not happy with. So I think it definitely affected my relationship anxiety a lot. And um, I don't really obsess about like their, my partner's love for me. And it, this has been a theme in every single one of my relationships. I don't obsess about their love for me, but more so my love for them. Do I love them enough? Am I attracted to them enough? Mm. There's this one thing wrong with them. Can I live with that for the rest of my life? Are they... And are they that's me in every relationship enough, right? still <laughs> are they are they social enough are they what can i are, see are, myself aren't those all valid questions what they they are and and that's the the thing that um that's the thing about people who like have the the thoughts themselves are not what distinguishes people who have ocd from people who don't have ocd it's what we do about those thoughts so i can spend hours ruminating about it hours checking how do I feel right now when I'm with them when I'm with them do I feel happy enough oh no I'm not feeling butterflies does that mean this and then you see the spiral so those are very valid questions and people with sound minds can absolutely think about them but when I'm in an obsessive cycle the best thing that I can do for myself is be like maybe they're the wrong person maybe I am making a mistake I don't need to know that I don't have to know that and I'm okay in in the past, has this obsessiveness made you to leave people because they weren't good enough for you? Yeah, I. Uh, oh, they I, weren't. They weren't. I don't want to say good no, enough. No, no, no. They. The I made a, a decision based off of my obsessive like yes. thinking. Yeah, there. I think I've I've um, one relationship I can definitely put pinpoint me leaving them because of these obsessions, um, and I that was the relationship before I realized that I did have OCD. Yeah. Uh, can you ask a question? Okay, cool. Um, give me a second. Let me pull up the question real quick. <laughs> All right. So you've talked about, we've talked about how that related to your, your obsessive compulsiveness. Mm-hmm. Did almost your parents divorcing lead you to have any attachment issues whether you had any abandonment attachment issues Mm -hmm. or anxiety attachment issues were you maybe in certain relationships looking for the same sort of love and validation that your stable to parent home didn't have anymore yeah oh that's a good question because i i've been looking a lot into attachment styles because i think that's so interesting um i would say that i have a disorganized attachment style so basically, uh, 
it's kind of like I tell my partner to hug me and then when they try and hug me I say don't do that it's like I want that's every girl <laughs> that's, that's every girl <laughs> I want I want emotional intimacy so bad but mm. I'm scared that if they're not the right person that I'm going to get too attached and it's going to hurt too bad whenever they I, I leave does that make sense I don't know um, but I think I was, I was really attached to my mom. So I think there was like some insecure, like uh, anxious attachment there. Mm. And then my dad was really emotionally distant for a large portion of my life. So I, I was honestly attracted to very emotionally unavailable men. Mm. Um, I've learned to, you know, undo that belief about myself, but, um, I did, I do think that that kind of affected my, um, like my attachment styles, but I think the OCD definitely made me a little bit more resistant to intimacy um, because I just, I didn't want to get too close because I, I was just afraid that they weren't, I wasn't attracted to them enough or in love with them enough. And so I was just kind of like, you know, like kind of push pull, which is bad. I'm trying to fix it, but you know, at least I'm aware. <laughs> So emotionally unavailable man. I think that's one of our favorite <laughs> topics. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how do you identify, or in the past, how did you identify emotionally unavailable man? Or if you could give a description of what you think emotionally unavailable <laughs> oh, men are. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'd just like to know, you know. Well, I think, I think whenever I have to really beg someone to share how they're feeling I think that can be a good indicator that they're pretty emotionally unavailable um, or if they're if they feel really uncomfortable or disconnected whenever I express big emotion because I'm a very emotional person I feel things at a really large capacity and so whenever like I have an ex who was really emotionally unavailable he was raised in like a very traditional like Asian home and so his parents didn't really you know have that um like strong emotional connection and I would say that you know he was really emotionally unavailable for me he didn't really I feel like I could tell he was uncomfortable whenever I would cry a lot or like feel intense sadness or intense fear so I think that but I mean I don't think I don't necessarily think that that is their fault. I think a lot of it has to do with upbringing and how their parents were with them. So not that that's like a like a f u to all the emotionally unavailable men. It's like oh well, that probably reflects how you grew up, you know. So uh, when you're kind of giving these guys grace by saying, oh well, that's how your parents were, so so I see that you're like this. Mm-hmm. But shouldn't that also be another reason to not be like that? Right? Yeah. And some people, some I, I think a lot of people just don't realize that, you know? Mm. And a lot of people, a lot of people think that they heal, they, they get over something, but they don't heal from something. And I mm. think there's a difference there. Oh yeah, a guys don't heal. We just go to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the only coping mechanism. I think I think the role is like, what do you do when your friends get hurt? You get bigger muscles. 
<laughs> that's that's a recipe. Yeah. Um, but I think you can give people grace, mm-hmm. but you can give them grace at a distance. Right. Where I understand yeah. what you're going through, but I just don't want it affecting my day to day life. Exactly. And, and that's one that's one of the reasons why that relationship ended was because I needed more. I needed more emotional attachment. I needed more vulnerability because I felt like I was always the one that was spilling my guts and it felt uncomfortable at times. And so while, you know, that's not what I need in a relationship and it wasn't enough to fulfill me in a relationship, I can offer grace and I can extend understanding for that. But we don't have to be together, you know? Like I can choose something that's better for me and still offer that compassion for you from afar, you know, because I do, you know, I, I try to, to be understanding about, well, he just can't, it's not a part of his vocabulary to be able to be that person for me. And that's okay. Cause his, what's, was it, wasn't enough for me could be more than enough, enough for another person. So it's not that he's deficient. It's just that it wasn't what I needed personally. That makes sense. Uh, we've talked a little bit about emotionally unavailable men. What about emotionally unavailable women? And Roshan, this is a question to you. Have you come across emotionally unavailable women? And how would you describe your relationships with them if you have? All right. Hey, guys. It was my 30th birthday in June. I officially became a man. All right. So I'll put you all on game. Okay. If you're a young buck. So this is what you do. You are, are they hot? Um, that's the first question. Question number one, are they hot? Uh, the answer is probably you're saying yes. Okay, fantastic. So step two is, are you looking for a relationship with this person? Um, and if the answer is yes, you done fucked up. <laughs> right? You already fucked up because you're asking... Uh, you know, you're asking, um, I don't, I don't have a metaphor for this, but you're basically asking someone for something that they can't give to you. Right. But, uh, are you trying to get laid? Huh? Davis? Sure. sure. Okay. Davis is saying, sure. So you just have to just be casual with it. Be cool. Be also maybe a little bit aloof. Right. Because the more you're kind of going after them, an emotionally unavailable woman, the the less she's going to give to you anyways. So, I mean, should you be just trying to get sex? Maybe not. Some girls on the podcast have told us, stop doing that. <laughs> it's just a request from the female that... species. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'll say, yeah, you got to do your research beforehand, right? And you have to know you need to get all the criteria. Well, here's another thing. If you're a young buck, I'll just say this, go ahead and make the mistake and then learn from it. Because there's so many times that I've had to, uh, write down what I want in a woman Mm -hmm. and then I get it. And then I have to revise the list yeah. and then I'm constantly doing revisions because I even myself don't know what I want exactly mm-hmm. until I, ha- I actually put myself through those experiences. Right. Um, did I answer the question or did I just, <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah, sure. Uh, Alexis, 
Uh, what do you have to say about I mean, so emotionally? Emotionally unavailable women, I feel like it's just the same. I think every, I mean, I think the hardest thing about growth is recognizing that you need to grow. So mm. recognizing that you need to grow. Sorry, I just, I've been told to move towards the mic. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the the that's the hardest part about growth is just re- recognizing it and admitting like, okay, this is something that is not necessarily true about my upbringing and I need to change that. And I think it's, um, it's the whole like chase thing. I get it. Like it's, it's fun. But if you, if you don't like intend on showing your partner any sort of intimacy, I think that can be pretty problematic because that's, that's, in relationships, especially long-term ones, I feel mm. like that's a huge thing is just realizing shit about your past <coughs> and learning to heal that. Because your ugliest side of yourself comes out with the people that you're most comfortable with, and that is probably mm, going to be your partner. Facts. So it's just realizing like, oh, wow, this is affecting me a lot more than I thought it did. Okay, well, how can I move forward with this? So. You know, that's kind of cool that you get to use your partner um, as this tool to see a reflection of yourself. Right. Right. And Shoot. it can be an ugly one. And a lot of people leave their relationships because they don't like to see that part of themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. They only like to see, you know, the first like three months of them just complimenting you. Mm. And then they whenever someone calls them out on their bullshit, they're like, who are you to tell me when they might be right? You know, but Hmm. they just don't really like that kind of confrontation. Yeah, well, buddy, it's time to grow up, okay? (laughs) I I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Uh, Davis, uh, let me check the time, but yeah, go go ahead and grab the mic. I think Um, we have like time for like two more questions. Yeah, we do. Um, So you got out, so you, you know, you're facing this and you're still going to high school Mm -hmm. and going to college. And Mm -hmm. um, how was your college experience like dealing with, um, with OCD? Um, it was, it was okay. I mean, the first two years of my college experience, I didn't know I had OCD and I was obsessing about Christianity. Uh, so again, with the intrusive thoughts about, am I a good enough Christian? Am I going to hell? Like, am I saved or not? So that was, that was uh, a little bit difficult for me. Um, and then especially whenever I left, I went to, uh, DBU for two years, which is a Baptist college. And it was interesting uh, just because when I went through that kind of deconstruction phase of my faith journey, there wasn't a lot of room for me to explore. Um, And so when I started feeling and experiencing a lot of rejection and judgment from people, my peers and people from the church, I doubted even more. And so it was, it kind of dug me really deep into this obsessive cycle again. Um, But then I got diagnosed my junior year of college. And so uh, the first, the first, like, I would say five or six months of my junior year were awful because I was going through that really bad episode 
Um, and so I remember like being on Zoom classes because also COVID, I think that's a universal, really shitty situation for everybody. But I remember being on like Zoom classes and I was just crying because I was so upset and I wasn't even listening to what my professor had to say. I was just weeping because I was so obsessed and just hated what was going on in my mind. Um, and then I didn't go on campus really at all the last two years of college because of COVID. So um, it was really hard for me to make friends. And then uh, I, had, I had just begun like a long distance relationship too. So I just felt really alone. Um, and dancing was actually kind of like me. It was an exposure for me. Um, but it was also like kind of me reclaiming my life because I had so much going on in my mind and I was, I was letting it drive my life. I was letting it drive my decisions and I just wanted to do something that was for me. So I started dancing and that's, I think the, the, since I've been dancing, that was like the last semester and a half of college. It was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. Uh, did the obsession come into play a little bit when you started dancing and just wanted to get better? Yeah, I, I had been stuck on the same theme for so long. And I just wanted to do something that would challenge me a little bit and push my limits um, and get me out into people again. Um, but it's also something that I would enjoy while I was I was doing it. And I would credit a lot of my OCD recovery to being a dancer because I was around people that triggered me all the time and I wanted something that would um I, I wanted to focus on sorry I'm trying to find the words I'm trying to I was, wanted to focus on the class I wanted to focus on the person I was dancing with so when an intrusive thought popped up I would I would do really good at the response prevention part of my therapy so mm. if an intrusive thought came up I would be like I don't, I don't have time to figure this out right now because I'm dancing. And mm. it was so nice. And so in just a few short months, I was, I was flying through exposures like they were nothing because I was already pushing myself every day. Um, and I think it just helped me tremendously. Yeah, man, I think dancing is... Oh, what am I doing? Oh, don't touch the mic. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, people. Um, yeah, I think dancing has saved a lot of people's lives. Mm. I think uh, a lot of people on the dance floor are um, trying to get a break from whatever it is that they are dealing with. And I think we've seen that Davis Ryder studio where... <laughs> 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 Sorry, I can't even fucking say <laughs> who's come and gone. And did their little... <laughs> you know, some people kind of show up. For, they do the, the circuit for two to three months. They get their therapy and then they go back to their real life or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's always interesting to see people are really, uh, I mean, yeah, there's also a percentage of people who are there to, who, who are not necessarily trying to escape anything. They're just there for literally dancing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for most people, it's both like you're trying to get better and maybe it's also an escape for you. Right. So yeah, that's better than drugs, right? Right. But uh, hey, come to the socials. You can drink. <laughs> hey, come, come come talk to me. We can drink our asses off. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you can do drugs and dance at the same time too. It's a great combo, I, I think. <laughs> 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 oh. 
but I just uh, I guess we, I I wanted to touch on this too. There's nothing worse than mixing OCD with Christianity Ooh. because those are like two perfect cocktails of um, mm. of emotions. Yeah. Um, and I remember in college, most Christian girls, their obsession was with keeping their chastity and mm-hmm. being sexually pure. Ooh. And this was like a running theme in just... <laughs> oh, I just have... I, I know just this experience was so awful for me. Um, yeah, you I, can go, yeah. You can like go. purity culture. Yes. The worst. God, I could, I could just talk shit about it all day. Um, I... One, one of the main, like reasons why I obsessed about Christianity was because I was starting to embrace sexuality a little bit more and I had been told like my private school that I went to uh there I remember there was one day where my principal set up a table outside of the school and she measured every girl's skirt and if if we if our skirt wasn't long or if our skirt wasn't long enough she would send us home she wouldn't even let us go in the building and so I just, everything, everything, I feel like a girl's worth was so tied to how many people, or to her virginity. A girl's worth mm. was tied so much to, did you have sex or did you not? Or do you like boys or do you not? Like, it's, it's just so tied to it. And there have been so many pastors who have taught, like when they teach the sex talk, they like pass around like a rose and they're like, okay, play with the rose or touch the rose. And then by the time everybody touches the rose, the rose is falling apart. It's tattered. Mm. And the, the pastor's like, who wants this rose? Nobody. Isn't that oh, awful? Fuck. Like we're teaching women like you can't experience pleasure unless you are in the covenant of marriage and even then like i've met girls who did wait until marriage and then when they got to have sex with their husband they feel guilty because they are instilled in their mind for so long sex is bad sex is bad sex is bad oh my gosh it it made me and and to, to make matters worse their husband is gay yeah, that too, man. Have you seen? Have you seen? Girl I'm not Defined? making this shit up. Have you seen Girl Defined? Yeah, Girl Defined. That exactly. Gr- that girl's married to a gay guy. That that boy is gay. <laughs> like it's been proven, this boy is gay. Well, he he be, he he also he went, went to, to the conversion camp, God, right? God, even that is awful. Like, well, I heard that's just a fucking orgy. Of like gay is it dudes, really? it is. Dang. They all go there. <laughs> I'm being dead ass. Just That's put a bunch insane. of gay guys in a summer camp. What do you think is gonna happen? Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, you're putting yourself. It's like if you want to avoid temptation that bad, why send yourself to a place where you're going to be tempted? Right. Oh yeah. I guess they really believe in their therapy. <laughs> hey, they aren't doing ERP. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that isn't. Oh my goodness. Uh, but yeah, I think purity culture was a a big, uh, a big like source of anxiety. But uh, who, uh, this is like, is this like everyday conversation at your college? Um, I mean, it was. <laughs> Did you fuck today? <laughs> 
Well, I feel like I feel like a lot of like church sermons were trying to be relevant, and of course, relationships is at the top of that list. So whenever you put like a a sermon about relationships every Sunday, it's gonna it's gonna end up sex is gonna end up coming up, and just like the way that people look at you, the way that people think about you whenever you dress a certain way or um and it's it's so interesting to see how much we cling to these passages about like chastity and saving sex before marriage but we don't look at the ones that talks about like gossip or judgment the same way we don't hold them to such high regard as we hold those which makes me wonder like why you know because i feel like those are equally as important and i feel like a lot of people a lot of christians specifically um they like there's this passage in the bible that talks about these pharisees who are like religious leaders and they were stoning a prostitute and then jesus came by and told the pharisees you who have not sinned gets to throw the first stone and then all of them were like well shit like i guess i i can't throw a stone because i've sinned you know everybody's sinned and we a lot of times we put ourselves in the position of the prostitute when relating to that story like, oh, Jesus came and saved me from the people. But we never put ourselves in the position of the Pharisees. We're the ones throwing the stone at this prostitute. We're the ones that Jesus is telling off right now. You know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of Christians don't look at passages that way. And I'm not looking down on them because I still put myself in a victim spot when reading the Bible sometimes. But sometimes the Bible is a good, obviously a good moral compass to be like, how am I judging others? Every commandment in the Bible can be summed down to love God and love other people. It's really not that hard, you know? Yeah. I think <clears throat> I think Christian hypocrisy is probably the biggest reason why n- everyone has run away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Or a lo- it's, it's very hard to convince someone to, you know, or evangelize to someone or just tell them, talk to them about God and a relationship with God because they see the 10 other examples of other Christians who've walked right. into their lives and been hypocrites about how they live their lives and we've we've lost the it's lost its integrity at this right. point there's no there's no realness to it anymore Mm-mm. um but yeah i mean i've talked to roshan about this where i've had sexual experiences and i've called him and i felt extremely guilty yeah. about it not because there was anything wrong but because i was just i've been raised in an extremely in a culture that just suppressed sexuality and Mm -hmm. suppress it even within even within my own parents like my parents never kissed in front of me or Mm -hmm. they never showed any intimacy in front of each other and that's kind of a very common theme with i guess quote-unquote african churches where there's no level of intimacy and you have these kids growing up in those cultures and then they're getting into relationships and they don't have any idea how to show intimacy to their partners because they never saw it and it's all stemming from a culture that suppressed any form of love or sexuality or intimacy between partners right yeah for sure i i definitely like have to second you on the whole like christian hypocrisy thing i saw this thing on i think on instagram and it was like most people who walk away from the faith aren't it's not because they're convinced by other belief systems it's not because you know atheism caught their attention or buddhism caught their attention and it made more sense normally it's just because of how they've been treated by their own people and 
I mean, right now I think I have kind of a very like resistant relationship to the church. I feel like I can't trust a lot of people um, because I just, I don't want to be con- continuously judged. I'm okay with being called out on my bullshit. I'm fine with that. But when I'm being looked down on for my choices, then that's a different story. Or looked as looked down as like less than. I think that's kind of where I draw the line. So I haven't been to church in a really long time, and I only have a few Christian friends who I can really trust. But um, other than that, I just kind of keep me and my relationship with God, me and my relationship with God, and just let that be enough for me, you know? I think, uh, oh, so Davis just did the let's cut this thing signal. Um, so, Alex, thank you for being, sorry, was that super abrupt the way, it, sorry, I'm touching the mic. Okay, <laughs> um, okay. sorry, um, <laughs> should I not touch it? No. Okay, thank you. All right, guys, so um, hopefully y'all like that episode. It was very educational. I think we talked about uh, religion and um Sex, sex OCD, OCD mental, health. mental health, and um, divorce. And divorce. Yeah, so we've tackled every issue that you're probably going through. So um, you can Venmo me or Cash App me at any time, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's about time. <laughs> uh, okay, so this episode will be airing on Monday, 7 p.m. Central, like always. So be sure to tune in, download Spotify if you don't have an account. And also make sure to um, like and subscribe on Instagram and send us a DM if you want us to uh, touch on any subjects that maybe you need some advice on. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you later. All right. Peace.